0: I just want to share with you my favorite line of George Bush of recent uh, vintage.
1: <laughs>
0: when, when he announced that we were going to Mars, he said, It's time for human beings to head for the solar system.
1: <laughs> Quote,
0: What planet is he living on? (laughs) You know, it really makes you wonder. So, this evening, (laughs) this evening I want to offer you a hit of gratitude and awe and wonder. Um I'll start with one of my favourite poems of the last several years, very short little poem by the Sufi Hafiz, who says, O wondrous beings, by what strange miracle do you so often not smile? Sometimes when I'm teaching, you know, I, I open my eyes and I look out and I think, everybody's so grim. Why is it so grim? Is it some digestive problem going around? There seems to be a lot of struggle going on in in people's practice, and it doesn't have to be that way. I I propose that you can have much more joy and ease and wonder and curiosity in both your practice and your life. And sometimes all it takes is a little turning of the mind, turning of the heart, towards the mystery. It can be very simple. I've been working with that kind of practice, that kind of arousal of of awe and appreciation, for a number of years. And partly because I, I've been a kind of a lifelong cynic and struggling with a kind of dark attitude towards the world. Uh, so now I, I consider myself now a cynic in recovery. <laughs> this is not to say that there aren't reasons for cynicism. There are. There's civilization and mm-hmm. politics Religion, and then of course there's the first noble truth. Uh, you know, if you want a life without pain, suffering, you came to the wrong planet. But Dharma practice has been sort of an antidote to that added that darkness and that cynicism. For one thing, it it brings us into the moment so that we can be present for what is rather than continually tumbling into the future with a with hopes and fears or regretting the past in the present it the it, it's all available to us the wonder of the world is really available to us it's a great passage from the samyutta nikaya what some old king comes and sees the buddhist disciples and he describes them as joyful and elated jubilant and exultant enjoying the spiritual life with faculties pleased free from anxiety serene lighthearted peaceful and living with a gazelle's mind yeah, mind is when asked why his disciples were so happy the Buddha said they do not repent the past nor do they brood over the future they live in the present therefore they are radiant the Dharma practice also starts to break the old habits of mind the habits of mind that just sort of Program us with the old, uh, all of our old conditioning, and they allow us to to be in the world more and more with beginner's mind, with or with what one Korean Zen master calls "don't know mind." If you really sit here. And look around you as if you didn't know what was going on here as if you'd never been here before as if you weren't totally used to this body this mind these senses this, this scene it suddenly becomes full of wonder and you you become full of curiosity about it and it and it can it can begin to open your heart In a whole different way. I once asked uh, Swami Muktananda if he ever did miracles. And he said, No, I don't need to do miracles. I just tell people to be aware of the blood circulating through their body. That's miracle enough. The ordinary can become very miraculous when we look at the world with a beginner's mind, with a don't know mind, with no expectation with presence. It's a great Chinese poet uh Shi Shu, I think, but wouldn't matter anyway. Uh,
1: <laughs> who said how,
0: how wonderfully supernatural this is uh, and marvelous. I draw water, I carry I, I carry wood. Just the ordinary but I think probably the the thing that has been the strongest antidote to uh, my cynicism and darkness is the fact that in in meditation and in Dharma practice I keep coming back to the basic the most basic aspects of who i am the breath this body its its sensate qualities it's vibrating its awareness these myster- the mysteries that are here with us all the time that we usually don't pay much attention to because we're we're lost in the in the self-drama, which can get very narrow and very confining and suffocating. I mean, when you bring your awareness back to your breath or to the body sensations, what, what's here? Is it just this? In some Buddhist schools, they do kind of emphasize justice, this, justice, this, but. It's not just a lump. It's a vibrating, pulsing, twitching, sensate, conscious organism that can move itself around and knows of itself. This is very rare, at least in our neighborhood of the universe. As far as we know, this is very rare, this experience. As Brian swim the cosmologist says For 4 billion years the earth was just a Cooling molten rock and now it can sing opera Something very very rare is going on here Einstein says One cannot help but be in awe when one contemplates the mysteries of eternity, of life, the marvelous structure of reality. It is enough if one tries merely to comprehend a little of this mystery every day. Never lose a holy curiosity. So, in the interest of a holy curiosity, I'd like to lead you in a little reflection, guided meditation, an exercise I call, Be Here, Wow.
1: <laughs>
0: and it's an exercise for your awe muscle. That's the one that makes your jaw drop open and wonder. We'll start with the very improbability of our existence. And I just want to say that, you know, the Buddha often talked about reflection as a very important part of his teaching. It's not just silent meditation and one-pointed mindfulness, but also reflection on the qualities of our life and what, what is common and reflections on death. So let's reflect for a moment on the improbability of us being in this body with this brain and contemplating the improbability of our being here right now. The odds against you are basically astronomical, literally and figuratively. If the conditions at the Big Bang had not been exactly as they were, it wouldn't have all hung together and turned out like this. If the size of the neutron or the size of the proton had been just a little fraction of a, of a bit bigger or smaller, or if the nuclear force holding the atoms together, the nucleus together, or the electromagnetic force trying to pull them apart were slightly different in degree then the atoms wouldn't would have either collapsed or come apart and then no elements would have been created and then no carbon or oxygen would have been created and then where would you be mr and miss carbon based life form (laughs) mr and ms oxygen breathing life form it's all very elemental You know that eight other planets spun out of our particular cloud of gas, the cloud of gas out of which our solar system emerged, and none of them have life. So far as we know, we're the only one, in our vicinity anyway, that that has any life, any signs of life. They've now found 30 other planets or so in other solar systems evidence of 30 other planets but they don't think any of them have life because they're either too close to their sun or far away or their orbits are unstable or they're too close to the center of their galaxy of the galaxy and they're getting all these x-rays and gamma rays maybe there's no life out there except for maybe it's just right here we happen to be maybe at the perfect place in the universe for life to exist as it does obviously we are because life does exist as it does but if we if if the earth was just a little bit further away if the earth's orbit was just a little bit further away from the sun then it would be too cold on this planet for life to have grown into such complex beings or we would be some other kind of being maybe we would all be you know, like woolly mammoths or something. And we'd be huddled around the equator, you know, because it would be so cold. Or if the sun was a little closer, or the or Earth's orbit a little closer to the sun, you know, we'd all be maybe living underground or on the poles. It's all so delicate. You know, everything had to be just right for things to turn out just like this. it's quite a rare experience the biologist E.O. Wilson wanting to illustrate the rarity of life said go for a walk from the center of the earth to the surface you walk for a month or two through this molten hot lava and then to molten through hardened rock and About the last 15 minutes of your walk, you start to encounter some little microbes and bacteria in the water table underground. And then a little bit more, you see a little bit more. And then suddenly you burst through the surface, and there are millions of different forms of life just teeming in every nook and crevice where it's possible there are are beings living, mites, and insects, and green growing things, plant kingdom, and animal kingdom, it's just... And then 10 minutes later, there's nothing. It's just this little thin layer of the surface of this planet that we know of that has this quality. It's completely unique, as far as we know. And then the rarity of humans, I mean, the Buddha understood that. The Buddha had this wonderful parable about the turtle in the ocean, the turtle swimming through the seven seas, a lot of big space, you know, one turtle. And somebody throws a yoke, a little round yoke. And the chances that turtle's going to come up, the yoke's floating free and the turtles who knows where, the chance that the turtle will surface underneath that yoke that's about the same chance you have of being born a human being very very rare This is James Lovelock the biologist who founded the proposed the Gaia hypothesis The climate and chemical properties of the earth now and throughout its history seem always to have been optimal for life. For this to have happened by chance is as unlikely as to survive unharmed, driving blindfold through rush hour traffic. Something strange, very rare going on here. And when we reflect on, we reflect on all the causes and conditions necessary coming together throughout all of biological and cosmic history to create us and bring us to this moment of experience it not only is a cause for wonder but it's a very powerful message of anatta of no self because we really see that we don't own this existence it has emerged out of all of these events, all of this long span of flowing and adopting matter and forces and energy and, and mysterious living beings. We don't own this existence, we just appear out of the flow We're here for a brief moment, and then we disappear. The Buddha said, all compounded things, all things that are put together out of various other things, have as their nature to come apart again. has no lasting self. And now, for now, what an amazing combination of elements. We are. Let's uh, go into our bodies and explore a little bit. First of all, we rarely think about it, but where do you think your body came from? We, we think our soul came from, from some other realm, right? And uh, just here on Earth, it's sort of like a training planet, you know, and we... Learn our lessons here, get rid of some karma or something, and then we get to go on to a better place. Isn't that the sort of common doctrine of many religions? But at least for now, we know we're tied to this materiality, this body. But so where do we think that came from? We weren't we weren't dropped down here from somewhere, some other realm, right? Well, we we grew out of this planet, out of the materials of this planet. Our bodies are made of all natural earth ingredients. (laughs) Your body is made of oxygen, nitrogen, sulfur, carbon, uh, phosphorus. Your bones are made of calcium phosphate, primarily. And that's literally the clay of the earth, molded into your shape. That's that hardness that forms this skeleton, is earth. 70 to 80% of your body is liquid. And most of that liquid has the same chemical consistencies as the ocean. You literally sweat and cry seawater. Where did we think these bodies came from? We're not only on the earth, we are of the earth. We're like earth sprouts. That gained a lot of mobility you know now we can move around and dance but those are the elements that compose this body and along with the Sun and the atmosphere life has grown into these complex complex beings and this being how do we get into this shape nature nature Shapeless like this, these fingers and these thumbs and these legs and feet and this upright posture and this big brain were all shaped by life continually adapting and evolving to meet the different requirements of the natural environment. That's the name of the game. That's how it all happened. For instance, we didn't there were no legs and feet until land emerged. They were unnecessary. Continents bump into each other, volcanoes erupt, ice ages come and go, and life has to continually grow new appendages and new ways of sensing and new plumages to find ways to survive. And that is what has shaped us. The way we are. you go like that, you find that you can almost move your wrist in 360 degrees. Uh, Most animals can't, other animals can't do that. And then you can almost move your whole arm 360 degrees. The evolutionary biologists say that's because our ancestors swung from the trees for so long. And that our dexterity in those joints comes from, we inherit that from, The life that came before us. So much of who we are and how we're shaped and what we do and how we behave is inherited from the life that came before us. And it's not cause for despair, as in Victorian England, you know, we can't have come from the apes. Now we know that our relatives were the bacteria, (laughs) truly, the slime, your mother was a germ. (laughs) (laughs) But truly, nature is the sculptor, and we are the art, you know, we're like and and what what amazing beings we are what complexity life has gone from a single-celled being to a being with 10 trillion cells that's us 10 trillion cells all working together but as the buddha said this body is not mine or anyone else's it has arisen due to causes and conditions he he must have intuited some kind of evolution So, in meditation, we, we bring our awareness to our breath, for instance. It, it's very easy to arouse this, this kind of awe and mystery in, in, in meditation. You Bring your awareness to your breath. You, first of all, you realize that before you brought your attention, your breath was working. has been working all day, right, all night, just going on there. And even if you tried, you couldn't stop your breath. You know, if you try to hold your breath, you pass out, you fall over, and your breath starts again. It's like life got in you and refuses to let you go, you know? The breath is breathing you. You get about 15,000 breaths a day. You know which one this is? Have you been counting? You get. About 75 to 100 million breaths in an average lifetime. That's just, you know, what you're given. But there's this amazing self-regulating pump giving you a free oxygen lunch every few seconds. You don't have to do anything. Your heartbeat. you You can feel your heartbeat. If you can't sort of feel it, sense it, you can always, you know, put your hand at your pulse or your neck and uh, realize this, this organ is continuing to circulate the blood through this vast circulatory system. Some people have compared it to like the tides, you know, this continual wash of blood through your body, bringing nutrient in, taking the waste out, being enriched through the organs, and processed through the organs. Every few minutes, the blood circulates. The entire uh, bl- the blood blood gets circulated through the entire body from the heart. It's estimated that the heart is, it works during the day like it's like lifting. Uh, Several tons and carrying it a, a few miles. It's an amazing job. You know that if your blood vessels and veins were spread out end to end, they would go around the earth a couple times. Your blood just keeps pumping through that system. And there's that heart beating. You get a few billion heartbeats in a lifetime. Powerful stuff. Bring attention to your head for a minute. Just feel this big old thing there on top of your spine. Maybe uh, rub your upper and lower teeth together a little bit. So you can really, if you do that, you can really feel bone. You can really feel earth and you can also really feel the the sort of the size and 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 uh, weight of the skull there. It's taken uh, 500 million years of evolution to get your skull into this shape. The first heads were actually extra clumps of cells that appeared on these marine creatures. And they grew up around that creature's mouth. And they enabled that creature to manipulate that mouth better catch the food better, and basically, the reason for heads, the better to eat you with, my dear. Because then, the senses began growing up around the mouth, too, in the head, you know, in the head area, and the ears, and the eyes, and the better to see the food with, my dear, and to hear where it is. Anyway, we could, you know... You can interpret it that way, but what an amazing group of uh, senses have grown up for the purpose of survival. It's all, you know, for the for the purpose of survival. That doesn't make it any less wondrous. Um, for instance, let's take hearing. Just listen to the sound of my voice, if you, if you will, or, you know, the sounds around us. And as you do, you be aware that there is no sound in nature. It is all created inside of your head. Nature is perfectly silent. Life has devised this amazing Rube Goldberg-like sound system, In order to give you another way to read the environment so that you can make your way through the world with as much uh, grace and ease as possible so it's very it's quite wondrous actually Uh, an event takes place I wave my hand it starts or I wave my lips and my tongue and it starts the air vibrating And the air comes and it hits the drum of your ear and that vibrates three little bones that then in turn move this little fluid which in turn moves some little hairs that in turn stimulate these electrical signals that are then sent to the auditory center of the brain which then creates the sound inside your head and for most of us it depending on the source of the wave of air whether it be my voice or car honking or wind through the trees your brain will not only create sound for you but it will identify the source and tell you if necessary anything you need to do about it and you hardly have to lift a finger it's really Quite astounding, really quite amazing. Uh, Then take sight. Just look around you for a minute and you will see the work, the three dimensional work of the greatest artists that ever lived, our brains and our eyes. As you may know there is no color in nature all the hues are added by us all the tones that alone plus the light that you are seeing right now this scene is hitting your eyeballs upside down it is Actually, the photons, streams of photons are hitting the retina of your eyes which contains 100 million receptor cells, literally. Each each retina contains about 100 million receptor cells. And they take these streams of photons and they turn them into electrical signals that then get sent to many different regions of the brain. Which then gets on a kind of like a conference call and decides if there's anything, you know, any anything important you need to know or see. Anyway, and the brain then repaints the picture for you and gives you a moment-to-moment snapshot of what is going on. Phenomenal process. Your brain paints it all for you. This is not the original that you're seeing now. Uh, This uh, Alfred North Whitehead, the philosopher, he said, the various qualities of the world are purely the creation of the mind. Nature always gets credit, which should in truth be reserved for ourselves. The rose for its scent the nightingale for its song, the sun for its radiance. The poets are mistaken. They should address their lyrics to themselves. We are the artists. We don't even have to go to drawing school or you don't have to go to music school. You compose the symphonies. You create the paintings. A couple more things that we can do to evoke some wonder and uh, awe at the mystery. Your gut, stomach, let's get down. What is going on in your stomach right now? All sorts of processes. It's like a great, you know, if you go under a building and you get to see the plumbing and the stuff, it's just it's phenomenal. I mean, you know, there's a whole the whole basement of these big buildings is filled with plumbing. And that's what is down here. Nutrients are being extracted, blood, you know, purified, uh, hormones released, cells being born and dying. Enormous number of processes going on right now, all completely automatic, more or less efficient, depending on you know, what you ate, maybe, or what you didn't eat. It's phenomenal. It's, uh, it's, it's said that the stomach lining it has to replace, you have to grow a new stomach lining every three or four days just because the, of the uh, acids and the, um, the substances that are excreted to take care of all the processes going on down there. So the stomach's actually producing about a half a million cells a minute or being born down there, just to keep that stomach lining intact. Then you've got all these other living beings in in your stomach, literally more, more living beings than all the humans that have ever lived on planet Earth, billions and billions of Separate existences down there, uh, without whom you could not ex- live, survive. Um, there is some speculation that bacteria—that it's—they're basically bacteria—that they invented us as moving feedlots. You know that. <laughs> but. Lynn Margulis, the great molecular biologist, says you know, our our concept of ourselves as individuals is really arbitrary. We are all walking communities. We're actually walking ecosystems unto ourselves. Finally, just a A little bit of reflection on the brain it's been called the three-pound universe and for good reason because it knows and can know so much it can see to the edge of the universe it can see inside of matter it uh, it knows all about all the human cultures that have ever lived. It knows about our own origins in past life. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal, self-regulating, self-adjusting organ of, of, of miracle. Uh, it's estimated that the brain processes about 11 million bits of information a second. Coming from both inside and outside. And it filters all that information to literally trillions of possible synaptic connections. Decides what you need to know, decides what's important to you. Regulating your temperature, it's regulating all sorts of systems. And it gives you a, a conscious picture moment after moment and it does it for 16 hours a day it's a truly it's amazing I mean it's the most amazing thing that nature's ever invented at least as far as our minds can understand as our brains consider our brains. it's it's got to be uh, miraculous The scientists, as you may know, have discovered that there is no director in the brain. They have not found anyone running the show might have this here. There, There was a Time Magazine article. There was a Time Magazine article a few years ago summing up the latest neurological science It was a cover story, and the conclusion was that there is no self. Yeah, here it is. Summer of um, 1995, the cover story was entitled In Search of the Mind. It was summing up the latest uh, neuroscience, and the article concluded, this was the last sentence of the article. Despite our every instinct to the contrary, consciousness is not some entity inside the brain that corresponds to self, some kernel of awareness that runs the show. After more than a century of looking for it, brain researchers have concluded that such a self simply does not exist. This is Time magazine. These are scientists saying that self does not exist. They can't find the self. Of course, it may exist in the elbow, but it doesn't exist in the brain. The brain, turns out, is this amazing self-organizing system. You know, we it it does everything necessary, and we don't, there's nobody home. We don't have to be there. You've noticed that when you meditate, you know, you just sit there and thought goes on, planning goes on. You know, the biological processes go on. It's really it's really quite a phenomenon. And then there's the mystery of knowing itself, just the pure the pure knowing, consciousness, a mystery to the scientists, a mystery to the mystics. This magic quality of knowing ourselves and knowing of the world and knowing of ourselves in the world. What is it? Why is it? Different than this matter, isn't it? How did it happen? For what reason did it happen? He reads read you a poem by Mary Oliver. It is the nature of stone to be satisfied. It is the nature of water to want to be somewhere else. Everywhere we look, the sweet guttural swill of the water, tumbling, everywhere we look, the stone basking in the sun or offering itself to the golden lichen. It is our nature, not only to see that the world is beautiful, but to stand in the dark under the stars or at noon in the rainfall of light, frenzied, wringing our hands, half mad, saying over and over, what does it mean? What does it mean? The child asks this, the determined laboring adult asks this, both the carpenter and the scholar ask this, the rich and poor, the old and very old, not yet having figured it out, ask this desperately sometimes, standing beside the golden coated field rock or the tumbling water or under the stars. What does it mean? What does it mean? I find that it's very useful to reflect occasionally on the strangeness, on the mystery, on the wonder. You can devise your own. Or you can just go and sit in silence without any reflection. You can just sit with beginner's mind or don't know mind. Sit as if you had never experienced this before. This life moving through you, this human condition appearing in you and sit with a kind of koan what is this breath this sentience this consciousness use it use it as a kind of koan it's it's amazing how it can bring curiosity into your practice and in your life wonder joy we really we take it all so much for granted when it really Is vibrating with mystery. It's also very uh, politically useful to arouse wonder and awe because it's fulfilling, and then you won't need to consume so much or waste so much time in the marketplace, of marketplaces looking for satisfaction because. The ordinary will be satisfying. Rumi says, awe is the medicine that will heal our eyes. So let's sit for just a few moments with don't-know-beginner's mind And all collectively feel this mystery that we are, that is us.